Okay, we are going to be reading today again in chapter 48 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 48, the book of Genesis. And let's start reading again from verse 1, although we've covered a little bit of this already. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 48, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Okay, so in chapter chapter 48, verse 1, we see that, that uh, we covered some of this last week. Uh, Jacob is now sick, and Joseph is called. He brings his two sons Jacob says, I've been blessed by God. He blessed me as I was first coming out of the land. And he references back to his first experience with God where God had appeared to him, his first of six appearances. 
and he mentions the the land. He says, I'm going to be fruitful. God said, you're going to be fruitful. So he mentions the fruitfulness and he mentions the land. So there were promises that were made to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. And the promises that were made were embodied in, in, in the blessings of the people that I'm going to make you a, nation, a, a great nation. They were given a land that was to be theirs forever. And we know from history, seeing this, if if the Jewish people walk in obedience, they get the land. If they disobey, they're, 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 they're even have been forced out of the land. And their possession expands and contracts based on their obedience. And the third thing that was, was given was the covenant of circumcision that was given to Abraham. And, and so he mentions the land. And then he says in verse 5, Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. So, in the Nuzi tablets, it even talks about this type of adoption where a father can claim the grandchildren. And this, this is what's happening here. He is actually adopting these sons in the sense that he's saying they're mine, their inheritance is going to come from me. I am going to bless you, Joseph, by blessing these two children. And to those of you who are parents, you well understand that if your children receive a great blessing or something really good happens to them, it makes you even more happy than if it had happened to yourself. You enjoy seeing your children blessed. And he's going to give Joseph a double blessing through the blessing of these two children. And he says, they are mine. Just as Reuben and Simeon, they're mine. And they're going to be part of, of, uh, um, of, of this group that I'm, I'm calling together. And then he says, but your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. So how old are, 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 are Ephraim and Manasseh? Well, well um, remember they were both born in, in Egypt and they were both born during the days of plenty. So during the seven years of plenty. So at the start of the seven years of plenty, Joseph was promoted and he was given a wife. So if we say about one year later, the quickest it could be about one year later, the, uh, Manasseh is born. And, and, uh, uh, and then if you say that Ephraim were born on the last year of the years of plenty, on the seventh year, that would make uh, uh, the span between 19 and 25 years old. Because it says up in, in verse 28 of chapter 47 that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years it was two years of famine before he had come. That's 19 years. Uh, and so if the youngest was born just before he came into the land of Egypt, that would place the youngest Ephraim at 19. Uh, the, oldest, the oldest would be placed at, at 25 years old because we had adding six years to that, not seven, but six because of the one year of gestation. So between 19 and 25. So these two boys are somewhere between the ages of 19 and 25. These two young men. And, and, uh, uh, but Jacob, interestingly, doesn't know that these two young men are in the room yet because the Bible tells us that Jacob at this point could not see. He was blind at, at this point in his life. And, and uh, so, so you see in verse 6 it says, But your offspring who have born, been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now we have no record of other 
sons being born to, to uh, uh, Joseph. It was just these two. Nonetheless, Jacob is making provision for them. If you have other sons, they are going to be named in the line under the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. That's how they're going to be named, under the lines of Ephraim and Manasseh. He made provision for them, even though it appears that none were born. So he is making provision for them in case someone is born. So it is good to make provisions for things that may be far out in the future. Uh, it is good fit to have a will. It is good to make provisions for things. So even, even the patriarch, even this great prophet is making provision for what may come in the future. He says they'll be named after their brothers. And then in verse 7, he digresses. He remembers the death of his wife, Rachel. And from what I understand, when, when, when people are near the point of death, they often reflect on their loved ones who have gone on ahead of them. So this is not unusual in that sense. He digresses and he, all of a sudden he stops, he pauses and he says, Now as for me, when I came out from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey where there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there and on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So he reflects on this. And uh, uh, it, is, it is said that this is, this is typical. And, you know, there's this, this old saying that uh, goes something like this, that, that when a loved one dies, life becomes a little bit less sweet, but death becomes a little bit more sweet. That, that the thought of going and being with them and so he's reflecting on this. And, and God actually did, did something similar. He did something similar uh, uh, with, with, with Moses, interestingly enough. Um, when Moses was about to die, um, let me see if I can find this. Uh, okay. When Moses was about to die in, in Numbers chapter 27, God is saying to Moses, telling Moses that you're going to see the promised land. And he says in chapter 27 of Numbers, verse 13, he says, When you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was. So God even reminds him about his brother Aaron, as if you're going to be, you're going to be with Aaron. And he reminds him. And so he's reflecting on people that have gone before him. And he reminds us, where she was buried, she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Right on the edge of Bethlehem is Ephrath. And, uh, um, and, it is, it is, and so where, interestingly, where, where Rachel's tomb is now said to be has nothing to do with the site in which she was really buried. She was buried, actually, was believed in a town called Ramah, which is about five miles from Bethlehem. And recall, she was not buried in Hebron. Bethlehem is not that far from Hebron. It's about, it's about uh, uh, from, from Ephrath to Hebron is about eight miles. And so, so from, from Bethlehem to Hebron is about 13 miles. And so it's not that far, but he did not bury her with the patriarchs. He ended up burying Leah with the patriarchs. And it makes you wonder, we're never told why that is, why he didn't take her down there. It w really wasn't that far. Might it have been because she was, she was known to have been an idol worshiper? She was the one who stole her father's idols, and finally uh, Jacob had to take them from her, and he, he buried them under a tree. 
so she wouldn't have access to them anymore. Uh, we're not told exactly why, but boy, did he love her. That's who he reflects on. Now he gets back into his conversation. In verse 8, he says, When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? He didn't realize when he was making mention of them a few verses back that they were right there in the room. He said, Who are these? And you say, Well, why doesn't he recognize them? Well, it tells us in verse 10, Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. So there's a good chance he had cataracts by that time. He's 147 years old. He had cataracts. He spent his life in, in the open fields in the, in the bright sunlight. So again, the, the, that, that causing a greater, greater cross-linking to occur of that gel material that's there. And so, so he may well have had cataracts, but he, he could see only dimly at the time. His eyes were dim. He says, who are these two? And, and, then, and, then, uh, uh, and then in verse 9, Joseph says to his father, they're my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Isn't it interesting that, that uh, Jacob is the one who has to say, bring them to me, that I may bless them. He's the one who initiated it. Now, Joseph may have wanted his sons blessed, but immediately, Jacob is the one who did it. And I'll tell you as a father, if you want to bless your children... Very often, you have to initiate it as the parent to bless their children. You're going to be waiting a long time, I think, if you expect your children to come to you very often and say, Mom, Dad, will you pray a blessing over me? I mean, that generally doesn't occur. And, uh, uh, but you are to initiate it. What we see here in the pattern of Jacob is that he initiated this. He says, bring them to me that I may bless them. Let me bless them. And this is why when my... Children are leaving the home. I like to say, just, just let me pray for you before you go. Before you step out of this house, let me pray for you. Before my wife leaves the house, just, just stop a minute. Let me pray for you. We, as the believers, are to be blessing those under our charge, and we are to initiate it. We are the ones. We can't expect them to say, uh, um, would you pray for me before I go? If they do, that's great. But he was the one who initiated it. This is a good thing to do as a parent, is to bless your children, to proclaim a blessing of God over them. There is meaning in this. There is grace in this. There is power in this. Proclaim a blessing over them. He says, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. He will even humble himself enough to say to his own son, please give me the opportunity to bless your children. We are to do whatever it takes to bless our children. Whatever it takes to bless those under our charge. Even if we have to urge them, please, just wait one minute. Just wait one minute. And, and sometimes, and I'll just tell you as a father, I mean, sometimes my kids are in just such a hurry. So I will follow them out. And as they're driving out of the driveway, I will proclaim God's blessing over them. I, I'm not going to say, well, they didn't want a blessing. Fine. No, I'm going to humble myself and go and chase them out the door and go to their car and pray a blessing over them. Or if they've left without telling me and I see their car going out of the driveway, I'll always stop and say, Lord, protect them as they go. Watch over my child, I pray. Watch over my child. Learn to pray a blessing over those who are under your charge and learn to humble yourself enough to be the one to initiate it. If you wait for them to come, you're going to be waiting a long time. All right, now in in verse 10... 
Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. I mean, there is a special love that grandparents have for their grandchildren that that is different than their love for their children. Uh, uh, Because you don't have to raise your grandchildren. You just just have to love them. And uh, you don't have to do all the disciplining work and and all the day-to-day of of dealing with getting their homework done and everything. And, And you just... There's a special relationship, and, and, and that's why Solomon even tells us that the grandchildren are like a crown, a crown to the, your grandchildren are like your crown, and uh, uh, there's a special relationship, and he embraced them, and he kissed them. You see the closeness that he had with them, and he had just adopted them. They were, these were the two boys that he just proclaimed adoption over. And then he says, he says uh, in verse 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. You know, you say, well, hasn't he seen his children before? Well, he doesn't say it's he's not. He, he doesn't say, well, I've never seen your children before. He's he's certainly seen Joseph before. We have he has had several meetings with Joseph that are referenced in the Bible, but he says to them, I never expected to see your face. So he's still not over. This excitement, after 17 years, he's still not past this giving of thanks that I get to see my son's face. I never expected to see your son's face. Now, I've had you, I've had access to you for 17 years now, and still, I can't get over the fact that I I get to see your face. I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. You see how every little thing, this man was giving thanks to God just to be able to think that still after 17 years of being back with Joseph in Egypt, he says, I'm still thankful that I get to see your face. I'm still thankful that I get to see even your children's face. This man had come to a point, he was just thankful for everything. This is a good place to be, to be thankful for everything, to be thankful for these times when we have our children with us, to be thankful for these times that we have children, to be thankful for these times that we have families. I mean, and, and uh, 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 this man learned to be thankful for everything. Just, just to be able to see their face, I'm thankful for that. And, uh, uh, and he doesn't go on and, and bemoan the fact that he's blind. He says, <laughs> I get to see them. But little I can see these, you know, these... these Men moving about as trees, <laughs> just these figures before me, but little I can see. I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for this eyesight that I have. And if you're blessed to be old, then you, you, you have to be prepared to carry what comes with it. And what comes with age, it comes with ailments. And, uh, uh, and, and you, you, you carry these as you, as you get aged. And so he's just in the midst of it, he's, he's thanking God. And uh, then it says in verse 12, Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Reverence, worship. He's bowing with his face to the ground. I mean, this man is a patriarch. This guy, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a very important guy. And he learns to bow with his face to the ground. It will do you well if you learn how to bow in humility before God. It really will do you well. 
And uh, uh, this man understood reverence and he understood what it was to demonstrate reverence to God to those under his charge. He didn't think, well, you know, I'm, 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 the, I'm the patriarch here. I'm the father of this family. I, I, no, he in the midst of them was going to demonstrate to them what it was to show reverence to God. He demonstrated bowing down before God. At the age of 147, the man bowed down and demonstrated to his son and to his grandsons what it is to worship God. Just as, just as Isaac, when, when he went out with Abraham and they went to have the sacrifice, uh, uh, you know, as they're, they're, they're very close to getting there, and Isaac says, uh, where, where's, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? They had already, they had already left Beersheba and they'd come just to the point where they're about to go up the mountain and he says, where's the lamb? It's like kids, they, they don't remember things. But, but he did at the last minute. He says, where's the lamb? He had been used to seeing his father make sacrifices. He learned that from his father, how to make sacrifices. And, uh, and, and, and Jacob learned it from his father, Isaac. And he probably also learned it from his grandfather, Abraham, because Jacob was 15 years old when his grandfather Abraham died. So he had had a lot of time with him. And so you see that, that uh, he demonstrated this as fathers, as parents, we are to demonstrate reverence for God to our children. This is a demonstration. We are to demonstrate the reading of scriptures, that our children are to see us reading our scriptures, not just to them, but also in our own time. I would always have my, my uh, quiet time at, at the foot of the steps and if any of my kids woke up early or if they were feeling sick, they knew that they could go out their door, look down the steps, and their dad would be down there at the foot of the steps on his knees with his Bible. That's where their dad was. That's how they grew up, where their dad was. In the mornings, they were going to see their dad on his knees with his Bible. And that's just how they grew up. It wasn't strange to them. It was a demonstration to them of where their dad is. This is what he's demonstrating to his son and to his grandsons. I'm 147 years old and I can still get on my knees before God. This is important to me to demonstrate this, he's saying. So Joseph took them, in verse 13, with his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and he brought them close to him. So he wanted Manasseh, the oldest, to be at the right hand of, of, of Jacob because to, for this blessing. And this is actually the first case in the Bible where there's this, the laying on of hands for a blessing. First case is right here. And, and so he brought Manasseh, but what Jacob did is he crossed his hands so that his right hand went on Ephraim's head, his left hand went on, on Manasseh's head. And he prayed in that way. Verse 15, and he blessed Joseph and said, he blessed Joseph and said, so this is a blessing to Joseph. How is he going to bless Joseph? By blessing his two sons. He blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. You see that he says, the God before whom my fathers Isaac, Abraham and Isaac walked. The connection, the connection to his father's faith, his grandfather's faith. He's connecting them. 
And this is what I was talking about last week. I have been discipled by great men who I greatly respect, and I have been coupled to them. And I reflect upon this. This means something to me in the faith that I learned the gospel from these men. And as I go through my life, I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to disappoint the Holy Spirit. I don't want to disappoint these men. I don't want to disappoint them. I want, I want them to be pleased with my life. Even though only one of them, these men that have poured their life into me, is still alive. I don't want to bring disappointment to them. And he connects this. That this is, there's a connection here. He says, the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. The God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. This angel is the angel of the Lord. That is a constant reference to the, to the third, third uh, part of the, 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 the Trinity. To, to the, Jesus Christ himself, the angel of the Lord, is often a reference to, to uh, uh, this third part of the Trinity. And he says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. So he is appealing to God who has been his shepherd. He looks at God as being his shepherd. And, and you can go back through the life of Jacob and think that all the stuff that he went through. But let's just turn to chapter 31 of Genesis. just want you to reflect on all that Jacob went through and the things that he was going through. And if you go back to Jacob chapter 31, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 31. If, if you look at verse 7, he's recounting to his wives all that Laban had put him through. And he says, your father has cheated me and changed my wages these ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. So he's talking about the days that he had been cheated by that man. And if you look in that same chapter, chapter 31, if you turn over to verse chapter 31, uh, verse 38, chapter 31, verse 38, you see another recounting. For these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes have, uh, I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or by night. Thus I was by day. The heat consumed me and the frost by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes for these 20 years. I have been in your house and served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. I mean, this man had been through a lot in his life. He had to flee from his brother on the advice of his mother uh, to, to do something. He did something and then he had to flee. He had to flee from his house. He would never see his beloved mother again. And, uh, and, and these things that were going on in, in, in his life, I mean, so much was happening in his life. And, and these things that were happening to him. And, and what was going on that, 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 that was happening, it was, it was painful for him, what was happening in his life. All these things, yet he doesn't go through all the gory details of what he suffered with. He says, God's been with me all the days of my life. I mean, this is a beautiful thing to see. Some people, all they do is recount all the bad things that happened to them over and over and over again their whole life. Everything is bad. I'm like, don't you have anything good to say? Hasn't anything of good ever come in your life? You got two eyes, you got two ears. I mean, I mean, it couldn't be all that bad. This man puts the bad, he says, God's been my shepherd all the days of my life. And the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. This angel redeemed me from all evil. You see his mindset. He is just giving thanks that he could just see his son's face. 
He's just giving thanks for all the things that have happened. He says, God has been so good to me. He's not this old curmudgeon of a man who's just spitting in all the bad things that have happened in life. Oh, you know, things aren't like they used to be, you know. No, he's just giving thanks for everything. Giving thanks for everything. What, what an example to us to learn to give thanks. All that other struggles in my life, God was with me through it all. He was my shepherd and I'm so thankful. He says, this is my God, as you've dealt with me, so deal with these two boys. Bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of their fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So you see how he's blessing these people. Now, why would he do this? This is the key. Why would he do this with with Ephraim and Manasseh? He's going to give a double blessing to Joseph, but I think there's more in this. Remember, these two sons live with Joseph right next to Pharaoh's house. Remember, Joseph can be crying. Pharaoh's stewards hear it. It's right there in the big city where all these people were coming into. He lives right next to Pharaoh's house. These boys are growing up in a very rich home that is separated from all their other brethren who are, who are out uh, uh, in, the, in this, in this uh, uh, place where there's, they're, they're raising the animals in this land of Goshen. I don't know what the distance, it's about 50 miles or so. They were about 50 miles apart, which was a long way. You had to get chariots. Joseph had, had access to chariots. I'm not sure if his sons did. But he wants to make sure that they don't forget, these two boys living in the city, don't forget that they are part of this clan. They are part of the Hebrew people. He is telling them, you are part of us. You belong to me now. You're growing up in that big city, but you are very much a part of us. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The same thing happened with Moses. Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. And if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, let's start reading at verse 23. Hebrews 11:23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So remember, the king said throw all the male children into the Nile. And his parents didn't do it. His parents didn't do it. But, you know, but they didn't want him exposed. And one could say, in a way, they kind of did throw him into the Nile. They just happened to put him in a little boat as they put him into the Nile. And, and uh, um, but but they, they, there he was. And, and it says his parents were not afraid of the king's edict because of faith. Because of faith. Their faith Help them not to be afraid. They were not afraid of the king's edict. In verse 24, now we see in Moses, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, by faith, Moses, he could have been called Pharaoh's son. There was no problem with that because he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But he refused when he had grown up. So when he was a child, he was probably called called uh, uh, Pharaoh's uh, 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 son. But when he had grown up, he refused to be called Pharaoh's the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the pa- passing pleasure of sin. We make a choice. We make a choice to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. If you do not speak up about the Lord, if you don't speak up about the Lord, 
people are not going to hold you accountable and they won't know. But if you speak up about the Lord, they're going to hold you accountable. We are to speak up about the Lord, about the Lord and let people know who we are in Jesus Christ and bear with that the ill treatment that we may get rather than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin and the approval of men. This is the demonstration of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament to us. We are not to hide our faith. Moses would not hide his faith, and he was under far more pressure than we are under. He would not hide his faith. And you can do it with a very simple thing. Leave a Bible on your desk at work, and that'll say it all. You want to know where to start? Leave a Bible that it says in big letters, Holy Bible, on your desk at work. That'll say it all. Let it be known who you are. And then it will start to come out. He, he, he did that rather to endure the, he rather endured ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why? Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt. So many translations use this, the reproach of Christ. You say the reproach of the Messiah. Fine, but it's called the reproach of Christ in the New Testament. Many translations call it the reproach of Christ. He was bearing this. The reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He could have had the treasures of Egypt instead. But the reproach of Christ, the ill treatment, was worth more to him. The reproach of Christ. For he was looking to the reward. There is great reward in following God. Great reward in following God. He was looking to the reward. This is the reward that I'm talking about. The reward that Jesus said, if anyone serves me in John chapter 12, the Father will honor him. There is great reward in letting people be known, letting it, letting it be known that you know the Lord. There is great reward in this. Great reward in letting people be, letting it be known that you know Jesus, that you stand for him, to be associated with his people. This is what he's doing. He's drawing these two young men out, Ephraim and Manasseh. He says, you're mine. And you remember, you're mine. You may live in that big city, but you're mine. You associate with us. You're going to bear the scorn because there's going to come a day when you're going to bear the scorn and you're with us. You are with us. And remember, it was, it was about 60 years from the time that, that, that Joseph died to the time that Moses was born. The time when, Mo, when Moses was born, genocide was being executed upon them. Genocide. So, so uh, these boys may well have lived well into that time when, when it got really rough. And these boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, were to associate themselves with the people of God. We are to so associate ourselves with the people of God. And we'll look at next time the people that Paul says, they all deserted me. They all deserted me. When my trial came, they deserted me. We are to stand with Jesus and take a stand with his people. This is the demonstration of Scripture. It is good to walk with Jesus because there is salvation and life in him only. Only in Jesus Christ is there salvation and life. If you do not know him, I urge you to cry out to him to say, Lord God, work in my life. Lord Jesus, I believe you. I believe you have risen from the dead. In this, there is great reward and it is life itself. But you will bear the scorn if you let it be known and we are to let it be known. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the boldness of Jacob 
to initiate the blessing with his children and to say, you will live and you will be a part of this people. Lord, thank you for his boldness in that. Lord, I pray for the parents who are on this, in this study today that they would learn to initiate blessing toward their children, that they would initiate it, that they would do that, Lord. Father, I pray that you teach us to be more thankful, just like this man, Jacob, though he had had such a hard life where his son was, was presumed torn to pieces, where, his, where he, he, he didn't see him for so many years, where his wife, his beloved wife died in childbirth at a young age, where he was, had to work for 20 years, this hard labor, laboring for a man who changed his wages 10 times, where his sleep fled from him because of the cold of, at the, of the night, where the heat of the day would beat in upon him, where he had to flee to get away from his brother who was going to kill him. So many hardships in life that man went through, where his two sons turned out to be murderers, and yet all he did was look back on his life with thankfulness to God. Father, give us a thankful heart, I pray. Give us a thankful heart to look back with thankfulness that the great shepherd has seen us through, that the angel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, has been our strength to this day. Lord, give us a thankful heart. And Lord, help us to walk boldly in testimony with Jesus, not to be afraid to bear his name, not to be afraid and to realize the great reward that will come with that that we give up these trinkets of the treasure of Egypt for a much greater reward of walking with you. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers on this call. Father, I pray that this day they would pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me for neglecting you and your word. I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And Lord, I thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, amen.